Hello, and welcome to Human-Centered Security. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Alexander Stein. Dr. Stein is an expert in human behavior and decision-making. He's the founder and manageable, managing principal of Dulles Advisors, a psychodynamic management consultancy that advises CEOs, senior management teams, boards in issues involving leadership, culture, governance, ethics, risk, and other organizational matters with complex psychological underpinnings. Dr. Stein is an internationally regarded authority in human risk and the psychodynamics of fraud, and he's frequently engaged as a specialist advisor in corruption, executive misconduct matters, and also helps companies mitigate and address human factor vulnerabilities in cybersecurity. Dr. Stein is a regular contributor to Forbes. He's a frequent podcast and webinar guest, on-camera expert commentator, and keynote speaker and panelist. Thank you, Dr. Stein, for joining us. I The first question I have for you is, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your work, and I'm super interested to hear the story of what led you into security. Well, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you, Heidi. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. Uh, so I am the founder of Dulles Advisors, which is a boutique a psychodynamic management consulting firm based in New York. Uh, and my area of expertise is human decision-making and behavior. Uh, I serve uh, as an advisor to senior leaders and boards. Um, I am trained and licensed as a psychoanalyst. And uh, the early part of my career was in clinical practice treating patients. And that forms the underbelly of uh, what I know and in many regards what I do, even though I deploy uh, all of those expertise differently now in organizations. To make clear, I, I didn't actually um, start to just work in security. So uh, Dulles Advisors really has five distinct uh, practice areas. One is the CEO and executive team advisory work. The other is boards and governance. Uh, another is culture ethics and human risk. Uh, and then there's humans and technology of which cybersecurity is one subset and then fraud and corruption. So um, really the thing that led me first into the cybersecurity space was in recognition of really the paucity of focus and the deficiency of understanding about the human element in cybersecurity. Uh, my opening gambit uh, in that space is that cybersecurity is a human issue which involves technology, not a technology issue that can be solved technologically. And that flips the paradigm largely on its head. And from my perspective, there's just infinite space uh, for expertise in the human element in addressing the problem of cybersecurity. And uh, I expect that during the rest of our conversation, there'll be a lot more that we can say about that. Yeah, it's, it's super, super interesting. One word that I wanted to you to define is psychodynamics. Right. So uh, as a psychoanalyst, my training is in understanding the deep underpinnings of human motivation. Why do people do or not do certain things? Why do people 
make all kinds of decisions for better and for worse, often both at the same time uh, for themselves and others. Um, you know, what, what drives malicious behavior? Uh, what, what are the features of ethical behavior? Um, all of this is fundamentally psychological, even if you can approach it behaviorally or even philosophically. And so psychodynamic consulting um, is just a term of art, really, that captures that kind of perspective. It's not conventional management consulting in terms of looking solely at, you know, actionable change or, um, you know, structural change or bullet point template structures that can be altered to make for greater efficiencies. It's really looking at who are the people who are in positions of influence, authority, and responsibility in an organization, and what kinds of decisions are they making, and how are they interacting in the ecosystem of other professionals in their organization, and how does that affect culture, and how does that affect, you know, whether it's a secure environment or a vulnerable environment, and things like that. Yeah. So I kind of, my mind went in two different directions when you were talking about that. In one sense, I was thinking, you know, I come from a, a UX, like a product perspective. And I was thinking that when I do like usability studies or I do user research, oftentimes the designers and the developers who I'm working with are surprised that people do or do not do certain things or, you know, they behave or you know, don't behave in a certain manner or um, you know, we kind of uncover some of these motivations that we weren't aware of before, and they're surprised by that. Um, so I always find that super interesting. And so that's kind of like at the at the user level. But you were also talking about at the organizational level, um, something that I've been trying to learn more about and trying to understand more is is exactly what what you were describing in the sense that you know security is much broader than what the individual does, even though, you know, oftentimes it does manifest that way, but it's what it's kind of that trickle down from, from leadership in terms of building that security culture and um, encouraging certain behaviors or not encouraging certain behaviors. And then, like I said, that manifests itself in like the individual actions. Sure. Uh, there were, several interesting points of entry and probably a few questions without question marks uh, in, in what you just said. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, in some respects, you can draw a distinction between user and leader, uh, I suppose. And my focus dominantly in my my day-to-day -day work is on leaders um, and decision makers rather than mere users. Um, but the common denominator there is that irrespective of role or function, we're still talking about people right. and, you know, what are they doing in any given moment, no matter how much responsibility they have. So, you know, leadership has um, massive amounts more zones of impact, you know, if the CEO of an organization or the CISO of an organization makes a particular decision, um, it, it's um, enterprise-wide in its effect. Uh, whereas typically you know, users are quarantined off in various ways and it's unlikely to, so to speak, bring down the whole system no matter what someone does. You know, from a process perspective, uh, I'm very interested in doing what I can to help organizations mitigate those risks from a decision-making perspective. And then that will 
translate into um, you know, the more mechanistic and procedural elements of things. Uh, or the lens through which I, I look at this issue is um, in terms of consequences and primarily unintended consequences. So when you spoke a few moments ago about how surprised people are, um, it, it's so important whether it's in software development or or you know end user experience or systemic wide um, policies, um, people shouldn't be surprised and. You know, by and large, those who talk about the human element as you know the weakest link or some such reprehensible phrase, which we can circle back to, because that's just something I would love to take out into the public square and shoot so that, <laughs> that that's just done with. Is um, it speaks to how um, little people actually understand about what they're saying there, and they're just tying their shoelaces together and sticking their head in the sand. There, you know, the, the the consequences of what you don't understand are really so severe, um, and the risks es escalate exponentially uh, with regards to what can happen to uh, an entire system when you are kind of um, blithely minimizing the impact of certain things, or you're architecting uh, some kind of security posture. That's supposed to work, but it's highly contingent on a certain form of compliant behavior. And then when that doesn't happen, essentially, you know, people are getting hit in the head with a rake that they just left in the grass and wished hadn't been there, um, but they put it there. And you know, so, what can you do about that? And that, in some respects, is the problem of cybersecurity. I, I actually see it as almost less a problem of of malice. You know, there are predators and fundamentally cybersecurity is about defending against cyber crime. But criminality uh, it is just one piece of the puzzle. And in certain respects, it's the the most predictable. Like you, you just know that there's an income. Um, the real problem is that so many organizations don't really understand what to do about that. Yeah. Can you give us an example? <laughs> well, fire up your computer and look at the news. Like, how, yeah. <laughs> how many hacks are there? And, you know, how many just ridiculously avoidable self-inflicted errors are there? And, you know, how, how many warnings have you gotten that you have, you know, PII floating on the dark web because, you know, some organization that you entrusted some, some important data to has leaked it or lost it or, you know, had it siphoned out? Yeah, I think what I mean by example is like, you know, we talked about how most leaders and I think and, and I do feel like this has shifted. I, I I agree with you when you say that, you know, there are few leaders out there who would say that cybersecurity isn't important. You know, I think really they realize, yes, it is very important. Security is important. Um, even privacy is important to some extent. And I suppose some organizations feel differently about that than others. But so if we're in agreement that that leaders take it seriously, then what's happening in the middle? You know, why why are these breaches happening? You know, I guess that's what the example that I meant. In, in general, uh, these ha these things occur largely because there are blind spots, and you know, I, I guess you could say that the, the severity of the, the breach may be in some proportion to the size of the blind spot. You know, mm -hmm. what is 
people are not thinking about or, or what is it that people are not thinking enough about? And, you know, what are the unintended consequences of that? And in other words, you know, there, there is so much security theater, ultimately, which, um, you know, gives um, rise to that really wonderful phrase that Bruce Schneier uh, has used that security is um, two things. It's a feeling and a reality. You can feel secure even if you're not, and you can be secure even if you don't feel it. And in so many ways, uh, he couldn't have articulated a more psychologically astute way of describing the dilemma here. People are attracted to all kinds of things that vendors sell that are supposed to securitize your perimeter and, you know, train your workforce to be aware and to not click on things that they shouldn't. And there are just so many, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, the selling of those wares and, and trainings and whatnot. And, you know, yet we see the hockey stick of incidents rising, not declining. And, you know, there's no simple solution here because it is a massively astronomically complex cluster of problems. And that's one thing in itself that people are really are sort of looking for a silver bullet. And there isn't. Um, there is no one solution because it's not a single point problem. It's a multidimensional issue. And um, yeah, I mean, I can go on, but please interpose your question. Yeah, no, that I, that was a great explanation. And uh, I love I love that Bruce Schneier quote and, you know, you saying it, me hearing it again, that it's super, super interesting. Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on and I feel like we're sort of making we're, we're sort of making a segue into this direction is the idea of the intention or the expectation versus the outcome. So we talked about how uh, in, in our previous conversation, how the organization or the people designing the product or designing the process or the system, you know, whatever it is, you know, have an intention of how it's going to be used, the problem that it's going to solve. But, you know, they have these blind spots that you talked about, right? They're, they're not taking mm -hmm. into account how things might be misused or abused. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, you know, the uh, misuse and abuse is one potential outcome and, you know, hopefully, um, you know, people who are managing risks before things are released into the marketplace are at least thinking about these nominally. Although, as we see with a lot of advanced and emerging technologies, um, there is such an accelerated push uh, to get things out into market that there isn't really true testing and vetting. And it's kind of like, you know, the beta is released and all of a sudden everyone is recognizing that there are all kinds of things going on that people say, well, we didn't realize it would do that, but it's a little too late now. So there's there's that. Um, uh, but it's not just about, you know, people doing bad things deliberately with a, a product that was designed for good. Um, it's also about the ways in which institutions uh, create all kinds of um, vulnerabilities because they don't really understand that there is this gap between design and 
usability, you could say. I mean, to put it into the language that you probably live in every day, um, you know, that people just don't cooperate <laughs> the, the way you want them to. And, you know, there, there are lots of security systems um, and, um, you know, risk management elements in, in an enterprise that are just absolutely beautifully architected, but there's a delta between theory and practice here. And, you know, when, when you actually put people in the room, not just write about it um, or use the PowerPoint that describes what it's supposed to do, um, it doesn't actually do that because people behave differently and they respond differently. And this is the through line feature uh, that that threads together almost all of these different domains, which is a part of why I have the disparate, seemingly disparate practice areas uh, that I do, but which are actually um, sort of orbiting one sun, which is the human mind and the ways in which people make decisions. It's all about um, misunderstanding or underestimating uh, what can actually happen when people are alive and in groups and you have you know individual psychological responses and you have group dynamics and you have systemic organizational culture and you know, subcultures and so many different variables at play and th those problems get larger and smaller when you have um, lead designers or um, business line leaders who maybe domain experts in certain areas, but don't really know what they don't know about other things that are really, really impactful. And, you know, it would be the equivalent of trying to launch uh, SpaceX without actually hiring experts in um, aeronautics. And, you know, it just, the rocket wouldn't lift off. And um, this is my view on the criticality of embedding or at least bringing in experts in the human element in, into all of these areas, that there are just so many things that are done that are, you know, really on a very high level in certain respects and truly amateurish when it comes to how it's going to play out when you involve people. What, like, what are a few things you think you know, you work with a lot of organizations, like what are they missing or what are they not accounting for when it comes to the human element in cybersecurity? Well, a really good example that I can give you is, is by way of an organization that I was working with for a while, not that long ago, that, that was doing it right, <laughs> um, which is really almost much um, more fun and more illuminating to describe than, you know, the dumpster full of disasters. Um, and this is an organization that really wanted to understand how to um, create and implement a, a, a new approach to um, cybersecurity awareness education and training. And uh, I was brought in by the CISO um, and partnered with um, the organizational change and technology consulting areas of one of the global consulting firms. And um, my role was um, uh, designated essentially as human factor architect. 
And um, the, the problem was, uh, you know, too many members of the workforce were getting in trouble. You know, they were clicking on links, malicious links that, you know, they were failing their phishing tests. Um, and, you know, it, it's like every organization is trying to reduce that number as close to zero as possible and make everything as safe as possible. And so the task was to bring to bear, to create and deploy a program that would um, really understand, diagnose, and teach these infosec issues with a special focus on social engineering tactics uh, in, in ways that would be measurably um, that would met, you know, that could be measured and would show um, an improvement in awareness. So um, the starting point for me with this, and this is by way of answering your question, what else can organizations do better and what can they think about, is something that we've been talking about now during our conversation, which is that there is this delta between blueprint and reality. And that, you know, when organizations talk about awareness training, do they really even understand what they're talking about? Like, is there a, an understanding of the definition of awareness? So my approach at the start of this project was to pull apart some of those concepts, not just the words, um, and bring some psychological depth to it and, and to underscore uh, for everyone as we were starting to construct what the program would be and how it would roll out that awareness is not a behavior. And, um, you know, so right there, it begins to step away from the conventional program, which is, you know, awareness training is supposed to be getting people to keep their eyes and ears open and to notice certain things so that they don't do something. Um, in other words, there's this like direct cause and effect between awareness and behavior. Now, that makes perfect sense, but that's actually not what happens because um, awareness it isn't a behavior. Awareness is um, an internal process. And behavior is not just an action. It's a byproduct of internal processes that's informed by awareness. But it's also is it situational awareness, is it internal awareness? How do individuals translate what they're aware of or not aware of into various behaviors? You know, in, in other words, you immediately start to open the aperture to see that it's not just a lot of different variables with you know the human condition, but that when you think you're training for one thing, you're actually missing a, a lot of other elements in the mix that are going to impact your result. So, I mean, we could talk, I could tell, I could talk to you about, you know, all of the details of what we did and what I designed and, and how it was different and how it worked. And I would actually love to do that at some point, but it's, you know, it's a very, very thick kind of thing. But I think just what I'd said right now is um, a snapshot into how dense all of these things are. And it, it really, I don't mean to, um, freight all of it and scare people off and make them think, you know, oh, well, you know, if you're going to do a really psychologically sophisticated awareness training program, don't call Dr. Stein because he's just going to make it so cumbersome. Um, no, it's really about, um, you do need to think about how complicated and nuanced all of these issues are, because if you're 
if your goal is to, so to speak, train people to do certain things and not do certain other things, you really have to know what you're talking about in terms of what, what creates that or what, you know, sort of what enhances that or what inhibits that. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I want to use an example that's not related to cybersecurity because this is immediately what I thought of when you were talking about this. When I work with nonprofits, like let's say we're redesigning their website, like one of the key outcomes that they say that they want is to increase awareness, you know, of their cause. And that's great. You know, I, I certainly want to help them to do that. But like, what does that mean? Like, like you said, awareness is not a behavior. And like what they actually want to do is change behaviors. So, you know, whether that's behavioral, you know, in terms of that's part of their mission, like, I don't know, they want people to eat healthy or um, take more steps, walk more during the day, you know, like that, or the behavior is we want them to give us money, you know, or volunteer mm -hmm. or do, doing something mm -hmm. like that. And they really like you like you were talking about it's much more nuanced it's much more complicated than you know what they're making it out to be it's not just like oh you're aware so like now you're going to go do those things no exactly and you know there there are people who subscribe to things like nudge theory and other ways of trying to motivate or incentivize um, people to do certain things or to travel in one direction and not another. And that, that works to some extent, but when it comes to, um, risk mitigation programs, whether it's in the cyber realm or, you know, fraud or, or other forms of just safe culture in, in an organization, um, you know, there, there is a tendency to compress a lot of the different ways in which people might respond into the one that they prefer that they respond to. And then they're taken by surprise when somebody sort of goes off that path, right? So one of, one of the issues at play there um, is that you need to be able to provide a ready alternative response. If you just put up a guardrail or a sign that says, don't do this, invariably you're going to get more people who will do it anyway or who will do something else that you didn't expect um but if you establish um a system by which you say that that's really um tethered to common sense you know sort of what the general person is most likely to do and then enable them to do what you hope they'll do uh, then your chances of success increase if you just say no don't do this you're not really solving for very much. You're just putting down a marker that says, I would rather that you didn't do this. Or if you do this, there will be a negative consequence. That won't stop everyone from doing it. That is a really fantastic example. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, and I'm thinking of like error messages and, you know, unhelpful prompts and, you know, just thinking it from, from a user experience standpoint. But yeah, that's super, super interesting. Are there any other... You know, I imagine a lot of this is like context specific and, you know, nuanced to the organization that you're working with. But do you have any other examples like that that you see kind of as like overarching, I don't want to say trends, but like just overarching insights maybe? Um, well, as it relates to 
um, you know, driving any form of change in an organization. And it doesn't even have to be specifically about cybersecurity or some sort of user behavior, but really just like cultural transformation that certainly is a major contributing factor to um, cybersecurity and, you know, anti-fraud programs and, and things like that is um, how do you actually work on culture? How do you get an organization to think not just about what you want people to do, but uh, who they are and how they live in, in that ecosystem? And um, really to be able to look at the psychosocial dynamics as a feature of the business environment. It's not, um, you know, it's not a discardable or a peripheral line item that you know you can sort of take it or leave it if you don't put it in you're going to get an error message <laughs> and um, that you also have to be able to create something that catalyzes genuine learning and doesn't just impel compliant learning you know people want to keep their jobs um, oftentimes people are motivated to gain approval or at least to avoid disapproval that doesn't mean that they're actually learning something new uh, or doesn't mean that they're actually integrating whatever the information or the training is that is important to your program. It just means that they're behaving in the way that you you expect them to in that moment. And then five minutes later, they really couldn't recall what it is that you said. Right. One kind of last thing that I want to touch on, and you did talk about this a little bit before, but, you know, the idea of measuring effectiveness, I'm thinking of cybersecurity awareness training in particular, because awareness isn't a behavior, you know, that gets a little tricky in terms of measuring the effectiveness. Do you have any suggestions or, you know, things that we should be thinking about in terms of measuring effectiveness? You know, one of the things that you need to absolutely start with is a baseline. So in the um, program that I helped to develop for the organization I was referring to, step one in many regards uh, in, involved a kind of um, as-is awareness test, uh, you know, sort of like taking the temperature to see where is everyone, um, so that we had something to refer back to, um, so that it, it wasn't anecdotal you know, or qualitative only. There were some quantitative elements that were built into what was being constructed and deployed so that we could refer back to it and say, you know, X percent of this pilot group, you know, performed Y better uh, now than they did at the beginning and be able to attribute reasons for that, you know, to be able to say, and these are the things that we did along the journey that enabled them to you know, detect better or to deter better or to defend better or to make different decisions when we threw certain things at them. And, you know, it, it, the group that didn't have this, um, when we put exactly the same scenario in front of them, they stumbled in the way that they had before, right? So you, you can see the differentials there. Yeah, that's a great example. So do you have any parting words or advice? We're kind of at the end of our time here, but and I, I feel like we're going to need a part two for this podcast. It episode. would be, it, it would be my pleasure. Uh, I love talking about this stuff and a, a part of my work always involves um, speaking to audiences about 
the complexity of the human mind and and people and um you know it's just great to have um your invitation and your interest in, in this um you know parting words really um bear in mind that all of this is just much more complex and dense than you think it is and you know um changing how people think and behave is complicated um it's painstaking it's non-linear uh it does not conform to your expectations you're going to be um frustrated more than gratified um and that uh, i cannot endorse enough, and this is not just promoting my own firm, uh, really just as a general proposition. I know that this is something that is important to you, which is why we're talking about this on your podcast. I cannot underscore enough the importance of bringing people in to the work who do understand this. You really do have to have domain expertise in human behavior and in the deeper psychology. It's not just soft stuff that doesn't belong because you're dealing with um, hard issues. You know, every every elite sports team has a coach who deals with the psychology of performance, you know, and there are reasons for that. There are very high stakes and um, cybersecurity and organizational performance requires um, a, a real in, real input, and you know ultimately cybersecurity is a multidisciplinary enterprise. It does involve a lot of input from people who know a great deal about different things, and you know organizations that think that they can just take care of this because they have you know the best infosec team ever are still going to be missing certain things because there are other parts to it. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Um, you know, one of the takeaways, and I promise this isn't the only takeaway that I had, but one of the, the things that um, I really liked that you said initially was the idea that there is no silver bullet. Like if you just, if you're just looking for that, like you, you're, you're going to be very sad. <laughs> it's just not going to work. It's just far more complex than that. And then the idea of the multidisciplinary teams, I think really that is, it's one step in the, towards a better, a better outcome when it comes to cybersecurity. Like the technology is not going to solve all of it. I think I would Certainly hope that not. people have like understood that at that point. Like we're not doing that good of a job right now. So let me maybe let's introduce the human element and try to understand that a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And getting people to move away from you know that just horrible prejudice that humans are the weakest link, and you know that that it is all layer eight problem, and, and really to recognize um, that. You know, if if you want to have a system that doesn't involve people, then don't involve people, and then see what. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's end on that note. I I really really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and talk with my audience. Um, thank you again. Thank you, Heidi. It was a great pleasure. You can find Dr. Stein on the Dulles Advisors website, which is dulesadvisors.com. You can also sign up for the briefing, which is Dulles Advisors Periodic Digest of Thought Leadership and Analysis. So go to dulesadvisors.com slash subscribe for that. There's also a link in the show notes. And also you can find Dr. Stein on LinkedIn, which is also there is a link in the show notes.